tell through the tulips. Lucka chee chee, chada chada Oh, I bring it up loud, sure. There, I'm just uh, sort of. Hold it there, hold it there. That's it, easy there. Oh, I'll tell you, we have all kinds of profound thoughts lined up for you tonight. We have so many fantastic insights and concepts, and uh, well, it's just sickening. Uh, it's, 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 it's all I can describe. It's just totally sickening. Bring it up there. Very bad program. All righty. Hey, listen, uh, I have a uh, cultural question that I'd like to ask before we get underway here tonight. Sit up, will you, and listen. I said listen. All right, hello there. Okay. <laughs> Welcome up there. <laughs> I can see those little Japanese transistor radios flying off of refrigerators all over, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. I'd like to I'd like to make the ultimate sound some night, Herb. The ultimate sound. I, I happen to know that uh, at least a half dozen people. Uh, Lee, would you come in here for one second, hon? Don't look so pained. It's all right. Just come in here and turn down the knob on that amplifier, the left knob, all the way down. There, see? Very good. That's perfectimo. All right. Excellent, excellent. Very good. <laughs> Why? I guess I shouldn't have done asking. Well, uh, nevertheless, uh, well, you... All right, Herb, will you hit the button there, please? Money button, please, first. B-W-I-A. B-W-I-A. Let's get it underway. There is an island to tell of. An unheard of island where you can sit and sip at a sidewalk cafe shaded by breadfruit and mango trees. An island where, for a couple of francs, you can do the begin and the merengue to the sound of bambulas, shak shacks, and goat skin tongs. An unheard of island where you can see cockfights by day and men sparing lobster by torchlight at night. An island of voodoo temples and neat white churches, including the one where Napoleon's future Empress Josephine was baptized 200 years ago. An unheard of island called Martinique. I know an airline that will show you the way. BWIA. Call your travel man. Or BWIA. And come to an unheard of island this winter. On BWIA. The unheard of airline. Senator Grape. No, that's not a grape. That's breadfruit. Sit under a breadfruit tree there. You know, uh, Speaking of breadfruit, uh, I uh, happen to see you here. Oh, oh yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, cultural question, yes. So we'll get back to that. Don't worry. But uh, it's very important culture. No, 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 no. What's going on here tonight? Anyway, <laughs> Grand Central Station here. But uh, I, I would like to uh, go on record as saying that I saw on late television here the other night uh, the old movies. You know, it's going to be a shame when, when they don't have old movies on anymore. It's going to be like, uh, yeah, you know, there's there's rumors, you know, there's not going to be any old movies on uh, late at night. What's going to happen? Well, I have to quote Phyllis McGinley, the, uh, the lady poet. On all the channels, nothing but panels. <laughs> oh, man. 
that is not getting through, though. Uh, I'll tell you, you can just switch across the dial, and there's a guy sitting in front of a sparkly curtain on every show, and he's interviewing Zsa Gabor. I mean, <laughs> you know, they just go across. Uh, it doesn't make any difference. It's all showbiz and a yard wide. And uh, I suppose, though, that's uh, that's uh, fairly uh, fairly indicative of what's happening to our country. We're going to be a tremendous showbiz country, and there's no question about it. Now, I'm not talking about theater. I'm talking about showbiz. That's very different, you know. And uh, our, our lives are bound by showbiz on one hand, and uh, on the other hand, our value judgments are formed and created by showbiz. You know, so you can't escape one thing or the other. And uh, I have to ask you a showbiz question now. You know, one of the most important parts of showbiz today, that you never really hear it discussed as showbiz, but it's very, very important, tremendous part of showbiz, to become part of showbiz. That's the commercial world. And uh, uh, the commercials have become really showbiz. You see all these great little dramas, these little things happening, like, for example, that guy that keeps taking those cigarettes away from that chick. You know, that's going to blow up one day. That, uh, one of those chicks is going to get that guy in the liver with a, with a long stiletto. And uh, that's going to end that whole commercial series. A bad man, I'll tell you. He don't like girls. <laughs> that's pretty obvious, you see. Of course, that's obvious in a lot of the commercials. But did you notice that sad commercial where the guy got in the wrong car? Oh, and a lady hits him, chases him down the street and all that stuff. Well, of course, these are the dramas that really get people. I mean, you know, suck them right in. And, uh, and yet, strangely enough, in the commercial world, uh, like, uh, I don't know why it is. Now, now I, 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 I'm going think about this for a minute here. Let me, let, me, let me think here for a minute. Let me think here for a minute. It, it won't do me any good, you know. I've been thinking for some time. Nothing's happened uh, <laughs> ever. And, uh, I keep trying to think. And uh, I, I'm curious. I'm just throwing out a... Uh, rhetorical question, rhetorical, philosophical thought, you know. I'm curious why... Now, I'm an American, of course, and so are you. So we can speak better for America than we can for any other country, but it is true in other countries. Why the most important theatrical characters... I mean, really important, symbolic, very important theatrical characters are cartoon characters. In other words, Mickey Mouse is a very, very important character. I mean, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck. Believe me, Donald Duck, uh, in his heyday, was bigger than, by far, than Clark Gable. Oh, sure, yeah, tremendous. And and to this day, you know, he's a, he's an important cultural character. Now you take television; it's created its own whole mythology, cartoon characters. For example, uh, uh, the well, a classic example is the Jolly Green Giant. Ho ho ho! You know, that old <laughs> that old Jolly Green Giant is a very important cartoon character, and and he, you know, he just sort of moves through the, uh, the, the the world of, of the Jolly Green Giant's Valley. I guess he owns that valley. It seems to me that he's sort of a uh, benevolent dictator there. Is he, is he a king or what? But uh, he's got that, obviously, he's got that valley right under his foot. I mean, you know, and he's a fantastic size, and he owns the whole thing. Now, uh, there's, a, there's an example of a cartoon character who has risen to great heights in uh, the public imagination.
and has become, you know, a very important character. Do you know that, uh, here's another example of a cartoon character that's big, really big, is uh, Mr. Clean. Now, Mr. Clean, do you know that, the, that Mr. Clean went down the drain, if I may use such an expression with Mr. Clean there, that <laughs> he went down the drain when some uh, wise guy in the ad agency decided that if the cartoon character was good, you remember when it was on, that uh, it would even be better if they got a real guy playing Mr. Clean, uh, Mr. Clean. He showed up, and that ended it right there. Do you remember when a real man was playing Mr. Clean, this guy with a bald head? He, he kind of looked like a, a, an overweight Yule Brenner. you remember? It just did not go. Absolutely. Uh, who are two of the most important... Now, now, we've named two great characters that have come out of television. These are really great characters. The Jolly Green Giant, and uh, we've got uh, Mr. Clean. What what are two other great characters that have come out, out of television? Who can forget Harry and Bert? Harry and Bert today remain two of the great comedy characters that have ever come out of television. And there hasn't been much great comedy out of television. Harry and Bert. You remember old Harry and Bert? <laughs> they were terrific. Uh, and yet, uh, they're cartoons. These, these are all cartoons. And there's a, a lot of little interesting things go on in, say, for example, a cartoon like... Uh, like uh, the Jolly Green Giant. I'm a great fan of those commercials. I, dig the, I, I like to look at the surroundings and the milieu they live in and all. And uh, I'm going to ask you a genuine cultural question now. This is a true cultural TV contemporary type. Uh, how sharp is your eye question? Currently, I saw it just two nights ago on television. Currently running is a Jolly Green Giant commercial that has... The opening scene is a biplane flying. Now, have you seen it in color? Well, it looks great in color. It's a little sort of a yellowish-orange biplane comes flying. It's beautiful, little pumpkin-colored biplane. Now, here is the cultural question. What kind of an airplane is that? That is an actual airplane, you know. That is a scale model of a real aircraft. That's not just a uh, you know universal biplane. It is a genuine airplane. What is it? And and he comes flying into the Jolly Green Giant. And what is he doing? The little character. Have you? Uh, how how sharp are you? What is that little guy doing when he's flying? Is he just flying an airplane? Why is he flying? You mean you haven't noticed? Well, all right now. I'll, uh, that that'll be your homework for tonight. We'll see. <laughs> I won't say any more about it, but this 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 is fascinating to me because I remember as a kid, you know, I I you you'd sit in the theater, you see, you go, you go to the movies, and there'd be a you know a standard movie up as William Powell or or uh, you know uh, uh, oh, any any one of a thousand people, you know, ordinary movie. The movies are all right. We'll say uh, Dick Ferran is up there riding around on a horse, wearing a big white hat. Or uh, Victor McLaughlin is sweating. He sweated in all the movies. I remember Victor McLaughlin was constantly sweating. And uh, everything he did, he was sweating. And uh, then you see Lon Chaney Jr. He was in all the movies, too. And then, uh, there was a guy named... Uh, he was married. Who was the guy that was married to Dinah Shore that was in all the movies, too? George uh, something. 
George Montgomery. Yeah, he was sort of a smooth-faced guy. And not a bad actor, actually. You know, he was a very ple <laughs> strangely pleasant actor. And uh, anyway, uh, this, this is, a, you know, you're just sitting there watching this thing going on. And, and once in a while you hear somebody drop a dish, you know, it's dish right. And, and uh, you know, there'd be the continual movement up and down the aisles of kids going to the john. You know, it's a, it's a typical night at the Orpheum. And you could smell the popcorn, and, and uh, once in a while this guy would walk along with a flashlight, and two kids are having a fist fight in the third row. He says, shut up, you guys, and hit him. And, you know, standard night. But everything would change. There would be a tremendous, dramatic change in the air. The instant that the Dick Foran movie's over, and he goes riding off into the sunset with the Priscilla Lane or somebody like that, or Lola Lane, uh... There would be a tremendous, dramatic change. You'd hear, all of a sudden you'd hear, That's right, folks. <laughs> you remember? I would come this, I would come the, the theme. Or you'd see this uh, this face would come out of the screen and would, It's Donald Duck. Well, the instant Donald Duck would show up, there would be a dramatic, tremendous change in the audience. You'd hear the gum would stop popping. The arguments would stop. There'd be a great scurry of people rushing back from the john. <laughs> and and, and uh, no dishes would drop. The instant that Donald Duck was on, everyone was there. <laughs> really right there. Donald Duck was real. Dick Ferran was, you know, just this fat-faced guy walking around with a white hat. But Donald Duck was real. And he, really was, and he was very angry all the time. He was very bucked all the time, I remember. Then there was, there was another character, too. I wonder how many kids today are deeply involved in the Roadrunner. Let's talk about other great characters that have come out of television. And they're almost all cartoon characters. Yogi Bear. Bullwinkle. These are guys that have risen right out of you know. It's it's this is true twentieth century slob art. I mean, it's the real thing. Oh, what's wrong? This is W O R, friends, and <laughs> this is W O R, and we're right here in the heart of the uh, you know the. This is it. This is the epicenter of America. This is a, uh, this is the uh, you know the center of all sensitivity and and uh, right thinking and. Uh, Action, the whole shtick, you know. This is it. You can't imagine George Plimpton living in Indianapolis. No, sir. This is where it is. New York. And speaking of cultural things, we now have a special cultural bulletin, which we bring you from cultural headquarters at WOR. Hi, I'm Rocky Graziano. For people who don't know where to find me, go to Shams. That's my hangout. The only restaurant in the world that's like home. My friend Abe Mogley's owns it, and he says, Rocky, the restaurant is yours. Sleep all you want. Sometimes I'm not sleeping, just eating, and strolling musicians come around and throw me a tune. It's beautiful, just like take it to count. No place like Lake Shams. Take your enemies and make friends out of them. Lake Shams at 25 East 40th Street. <laughs> yes, sir. That was a cultural note for tonight. It's always great to hear Rocky. You never can tell what the hell he's talking about, but it's fun. My friend named Magulis. Oh, man. But uh, <laughs> this, uh, we got a couple of other little whoopies. Let's see. We've done BWI. We've done Les Champ. Uh, oh, we have a little Christmas thing here. For those of you, you know, this is a, an old tradition here at WOR. I don't have to tell you too much about it. If you want to help, 
Help everybody here at WOR send toys and clothing to thousands of hospitalized kids. You send your contribution, even if it's a dime or a quarter or a, or anything, you know, whatever you want to send, to WOR Children's Christmas Fund. Got it? Box 710, Times Square Station, New York, New York. Okay. Oh, uh, now, now to carry this further. Now, I, I've often thought about this. Now, uh, to be honest with you, uh, well, yeah, I have. I really have. I must say that I have thought about this, and and I've wondered from time to time what there is in the in the human mind. It's a crazy thing in our mind that, for one thing, we have a tremendous desire to make all other creatures into man. Anthropomorphology, that's called. That's a morphology. That's it's a we want to we want to take a, a a goat and uh, make the goat uh, uh, walk around like Chet Huntley. Uh, you know. Oh yes, this is a, this is a common thing, and, and 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 a lot of people have this thing going. Some have it more than others. Uh, some are just totally ape about it. If I may use the reverse, you see. But uh, they really are. I, I, I know people, I, and I don't want to go into any names here. One's got a radio show. I know people who seriously believe that the most, the most profound thinking today is done by squirrels and, and, uh, and uh, you know, elk. Uh, once in a while, I get together and talk over the state of the world. And, uh, and, and it's just, this, is a, this is a fascinating thing. And, and, and so it takes many forms, you know. Most of us think it takes just the form of the... Uh, you know the uh, the dog cuckoo. Uh, once in a while, you'll read in the paper where some lady uh, has been a recluse for uh, 72 years, has not talked to people since she was eight, but she lives with 237 cats. Uh, that kind of you know, and leaves her estate of 27 million dollars to a tall, skinny cat with one ear called Fred. And uh, you know, she says this is the only true great person she's ever met in her will. And now uh, this this is of course the far extreme. But it is part of all of us. There's no question about it that that uh, every you take any human uh, trait, and if it's carried to its final uh, ultimate ridiculousness, that becomes insanity. And so we all have a vague uh, desire. For example, to uh, we see a piece of string, you pick it up, uh, or a pin, and uh, you pick it up. But if you let this get out of hand, you know, and the next thing you know, your entire life is spent walking around the street looking for string. <laughs> and then you don't sleep anymore. You spend all night looking for string. And at the end of 30 years, you have a ball of string that's 700 feet in diameter. And uh, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're, just, you're a string cuckoo. They're going to wind up throwing the net over you. It's, just, uh, it's, a, it's a typical example of the total extreme. Now, in the case of the animal thing, we, we know that the, the animal cuckoos are really, uh, uh, they're, they're kind of harmless, but they're fun, and, and sometimes they can be uh, a drag and they can bore you and so on. But nevertheless, uh, to, to the outermost limit of the animal cuckoo, of course, you get the person who, uh, who has a tremendous desire to, uh, to um, marry his dachshund. Uh, Oh yeah, you see, you see them catering to that in some of the commercials. You know, it's the the dog food commercials. And uh, for example, there's one where it shows this guy eating. He's he's eating this tremendous meal. You see that one? And he says, you know, there's no reason why your dog shouldn't eat good too. And uh, 
Yeah, he pretends somehow that the dog should eat like you. He should. He, they never quite say it, but the implication meaning that the dog food is like what this guy is eating. You say it's never quite stated, but a lot of people seriously think that a dog, being really basically a human being that hasn't shaved yet, or uh, somehow his arms didn't develop and he's got two feet out in the front and long ears hanging down to his knees. Uh, should really eat like people. And so you wind up with, uh, yeah, there's one outfit that sells dog food. For example, they sell uh, beef stroganoff for dogs. Have you seen that? <laughs> Crepe Suzettes for your dog. <laughs> and, of course, uh, any good vet will tell you that's bad news for a dog because a dog is a dog. You know, a dog, uh, because he is a dog, he has a different kind of diet, different digestive system and everything else from, from human beings. But nevertheless, people, they, they cling to this that uh, somehow my little dog, Fred, because Fred hangs around when I'm eating uh, blintzes. Fred should have his little can of blintzes. So, uh, this is curious. This is part of that hang-up. But uh, what about all the rest of us, you see, uh, who are not the animal cuckoos? Where does it show up in our world? Well, it shows up in Yogi Bear. See, uh, you notice Yogi Bear talks like a person. In fact, he talks more like a person than a lot of people. He uh, he says, I'm smarter than the average ranger. And, uh, <laughs> and you've heard him say that. He's always smarter than the average ranger. And he is, actually, if you'll notice in the cartoon. He, he very much is. And so that is... Uh, now, it does that animal... Now, I'm going to ask a question. This is a back to a uh, philosophical type question. Is this boring you tonight? Well, it doesn't mean. It's something I've thought about, and I've never heard him discuss it. Now, I'm going to ask a philosophical-type question here about it, if I may. When, when, when you get hung on one of these characters, and we all do. Let's face it. We all get hung on cartoon characters. We, Everybody laughs at Donald Duck. or I don't care. You see, I think these things cut through. For one thing, they cut through all intellectual levels. Uh it's just a kind of a strange uh, uh, universal solvent almost. Now, when we laugh at Donald Duck, or let's say Yogi Bear, or Bullwinkle, now, do we think, I'm talking about way down deep in the inner ring of our subconsciousness, are we thinking of Bullwinkle or Yogi Bear as an animal? Or as a person? Do you think of, of, of Yogi Bear as a funny person? That's very difficult to answer a question like that. You've got to think seriously about it. Don't just immediately, oh, yeah, he's a bear. No, don't think carefully. Think very carefully about that. Now, now let's take other cartoon characters. You know, it's a rare cartoon character who represents a human being who makes it. I'm talking about in the animated cartoons. I'm not discussing cartoon strips. For example, uh, the same people who uh, turned out some of the successful animal cartoons tried to make uh, one called the Flintstones. It never worked. It's around, but it never quite made it. People never quite dug it. Now, now certain characters will become great characters in... Uh, in real life. I'm talking about human being characters. And the transition to cartoon is never successful. Now, nor is it the other way around. For example, 
The Lone Ranger is now on cartoon. It's been on cartoon for some time. But the Lone Ranger as a character, a cartoon character, has never been anywhere nearly as successful as when the Lone Ranger was, a, you know, a, a human being type character, not a cartoon. You know, for a while they had the Beatles as cartoon characters. It just fell flat. How long did that last? You know, just uh, just went right out of the window. It was really on about the, a year, I think. So remember that when they had the Beatle cartoons on, and uh, I can just see these people taking this great idea. And oh boy, wow! You know, it's going to be a fantastic success. Well, it was a dud. Now, uh, on the other hand, once in a while they will try to make a uh, a, a character, say like uh, an, an animal character, a cartoon character. They'll try to make it real. And I've seen that happen. Uh, I've seen, for example, people in a in a in a play. Uh, I've well, you see in the Macy Day Parade. Now you see the Macy Day Parade. There, all of a sudden, there pass goes Donald Duck. Is he really Donald Duck? No, it it never quite makes it. Just a big balloon. You know, that's that's the end of it. It's a it's a it's a grotesque, and nobody ever says, "Oh, gee, there's Donald Duck." Not at all. I say, "Oh, look at a balloon! What a big one!" Well, <laughs> it never never makes it. Now there have been all kinds of attempts, you know, to uh, to to uh, to bridge the various types of imagination. For example, uh, there have been innumerable attempts on Broadway to attempt to bring to life in real, live, living, breathing human beings cartoon characters. For example, Lil Abner. Uh, do you know that at one time, playing on Broadway, there was a uh, a play that was about Maggie and Jigs? You know that? Do you know that there was a play once that played on Broadway that was about Mutt and Jeff? Well, <laughs> that, that there was even an attempt one time to do Joe Palooka. Now, now, of course, a lot of the t attempts have also been made in the movies. And boy, are they terrible. Well, now that's something else again, because I want to get into that. Because you see, I, I don't think Charlie Brown uh, is even is even. Uh, uh, this is this is something else. This is a hybrid, because you see, Charlie Brown and his people are not even acceptable as kids. They're uh, they're really grown-ups, dressed like kids. So when grown-ups play Charlie Brown, it somehow seems right. But if you get kids saying what Charlie Brown. Does if, if in other words if, if the stage producers had tried to get a, bu a bunch of kids to play uh, the characters in Charlie Brown, you know Peanuts, it would have fallen flat because no kid ever talks the way anybody talks like in Charlie Brown's world. They're really people, they're grown-ups, and uh, so that's a that's a that's a strange hybrid cartoon. But on the other hand, when you take uh, when you take uh, did you, did you know that at one time I knew a guy I once met a guy who 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 uh, was telling me that he was a director, he was a T, uh, or rather a film director, and he had a, <laughs> and and you'll never guess what his chief credit was. Well, his chief credit was uh, he had directed a series of movies out in Hollywood about Maggie and Jigs. Did you ever hear of them? Did you know that they made them? Terrible. <laughs> they were they were the world's worst turkeys. Now, here's an example of, of an attempt to bring a cartoon character to life. Recently, there was a disastrous attempt on part, the part of one of the networks to bring Blondie. They had Blondie, you know. Well, you know, it was a, a real dog a it, it just didn't go. It was a standard uh, uh, family-type uh, situation comedy 
But uh, the cartoon characters just did not come alive on, on television. And they wouldn't either. And uh, the, the, the Blondie and Dagwood films, for example, uh, at the time when Blondie and Dagwood... Uh, the only people who liked the Blondie and Dagwood films were the people who never saw Blondie and Dagwood in the comics. <laughs> they were a separate thing entirely. They really weren't. Uh, they really weren't at all the same thing. And so you you get uh, you get this constant intercrossing of characters. But I'm losing the point here. Uh, I don't want to get into into comic strips. I want to get back on this idea of the film characters, uh, the the animal characters that have made it so big that they have become... Do you know that at the time that Mickey Mouse became uh, a, a character around the... I just finished reading a book about this thing, a, a very detailed study of the, uh, of the growth of uh, this particular character. It was part of a, of a full-length study of Walt Disney, and the book had its failures uh, as a book. But the one thing that was interesting to me was to read about the unbelievable impact that Mickey Mouse had on the world at the time when Mickey Mouse became very popular around the time, apparently around uh, the late 20s and early 30s was when this happened, and that Mickey Mouse became a worldwide nuttiness completely, and that even to this day, right now, this minute, there is no place... Uh, there's no day goes by but what people aren't watching somewhere in the world. Mickey Mouse films. And that's, that's really, uh, that's really uh, you, you can't put that down because, you know, after all, a film has a comparatively short life as far as uh, people seeing it and uh, going to pay to see it. I'm not talking about showing up on late television. That's something else again. But uh, you just take the average big film. How long do you think the average big film actually lasts? You know, you'll read this tremendous series of reviews. It'll appear in the, in the Times. Great, fantastic, monumental achievement in film. Tremendous, true classic. And six weeks later, it's playing the drive-ins. And two weeks after that, it's uh, gone forever. And about uh, three or four years later, you'll be sitting there chewing your gum at four o'clock in the morning and after a barrage of Preparation H spots, on comes the monumental classic. <laughs> you know? And, uh, all right. So, in other words, the film has a very short life uh, as, a, as an actual viable commodity. Not so cartoons. They, that they, that, uh, to give you an idea of that, the kids that are watching today, that, you know, like eight, seven, six, five, four-year-old kids, are watching cartoons... I mean, with tremendous attention, that must have been made. Have you ever watched any of those things on Saturday morning? Incredible. Uh, they have cartoons there that, that, that look like they were made by Edison. I mean, they're little black blobs running around on the screen. You know, the kids sit there with their mouths hanging open, their eyeballs bugging out, the music. The kids are yelling and hollering, which means that these things have a certain... Uh, universality that cuts through any changes, cultural changes that may occur in the world and uh, technological changes and all the rest of it that the, that the idea of a, of a non-real animal type character running around on the screen has a deep very, very deep 
significance and something to us. It's, I, I'm just curious about this. Now, I, I, whenever, I, whenever I think of cartoons, I always remember certain great scenes in cartoons now. And, and have you noticed, too, another thing about cartoons is that they have, almost like the Western, the cartoons have a certain classical form. Now, I mean really classical. Invariably, the, the, the really successful cartoons involve a, uh, a, a, a character. And this character is a sorehead, a smart, funny-type character. He's, he's at the fire of authority. And uh, he is, 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 is put up against tremendous odds. In other words, the cartoon character is either a mouse who is uh, constantly outwitting a cat and, and you don't want it to be a, a, a nice mouse, remember that. A nice mouse outwitting a cat is Dullsville. Uh, how many of you know that in the beginning days that Mickey Mouse was a very, very uh, wise guy mouse? It's only in the later years when other characters began to be very powerful in the Disney uh, stable that Mickey began to be almost like, a, you know, the archetypical Reader's Digest reader. And uh, he was very different. But in the early days when he made it, he was a real smart guy mouse. I mean, he'd come running out, and he'd grab the cheese, run back in, and, you know, the, and, the, and take it right out of the mouths of the, the cat and all that kind of stuff. And that's really what got people going all over the world. Donald Duck, uh, in his heyday, was far more successful uh, than Mickey Mouse. Well, Donald Duck was a sorehead of the first order. But remember, he was a duck. Now, a duck is not a very... Uh, tough animal, and yet when this duck would uh, come around and uh, he would be chased by this tremendous bulldog, and obviously a bulldog can take care of a duck any day of the week, and uh, that was part of that classical scene. Now, you see it today, uh, the roadrunner. Now, the roadrunner is a little skinny bird, quack, 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 you know, he, boop, boop, how does he go? Boop, boop, yeah, he goes, boop, boop, I know, it's sort of a beep, beep. Yeah, he makes a beep-beep. All right, so it's close. But he's a very weak little animal. He doesn't he doesn't come out like a bullhorn, you know. He's beep-beep. And, and uh, he runs around, and, of course, he's always outwitting a, a much more evil character, usually a coyote or a fox or, or a wolf or something like that, see. And, uh, he, uh, and, and, and he has the same kind of, of lure that uh, to people. Uh, he... he pulls people in the same way that uh, uh, that uh, Donald did. Now, now you can go on and on and on about these characters. Now, now let's take uh, uh, the attempts. You know, there have been attempts to, uh, from time to time, to make human characters in uh, cartoons. The Little King is a classic example of that. You, you see these on, on the old cartoons occasionally, The Little King. Now, The Little King, really, you see, come to think of it now, the little king was a very unreal character from the very start. Kings are not human beings, really. They're symbols. Right from the very beginning. You can't imagine a cartoon that's the little insurance man. You know, all right. Uh, why not? Well, why, do, why is it ridiculous? Why do you laugh at this? And yet you can accept the, the, the premise, the little king. Well, because a king, you see, isn't a real person. It's just not a, not a real person. 
and, and so you can see him almost from the start, right from the beginning. Even if you see a real king riding down the street in the you know this, the the carriage, the state carriage, and all that, that person is a cartoon, right there, a symbol. That uh, it's not uh, you know when people are applauding. Uh, uh, Elizabeth II. They're not applauding this chick or this woman. Excuse me, I'm going to get angry letters on that. They're not applauding this woman. They're applauding the, you know, the symbol. It's a, it's his king. You know, <laughs> you know it's the, the crown, the head, and the whole, all of it. So uh, in the end, uh, I, I suspect that, uh, that these things, uh, you know, these 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 little characters that we create. Uh, uh, say something about us and our attitude towards the animal world. Now, have you noticed that some of the most long-running television shows that just run on and on and on and on and on have as their central character an animal, but an animal that is unbelievably human? Lassie. You know that Lassie is one of the oldest-running television shows. You know, nobody says much about it, but that show goes on and on and on, and it's in prime time, too, you know. This is not one of those rerun on Saturday morning on Channel 11 bits. This thing, uh, you know, it's really there. Uh, and, and Lassie continues on and on. Probably right now in Hollywood, somebody is turning out another turkey of this 10-year-old girl with this fantastically understanding human uh, 16-hand-high stallion. Yeah, that's called the National Velvet Syndrome. And I'm sure they're making one right now. They've been, this is one of the early, uh, uh, are they? Fury, all right, there's an example. Are they making that or did they make it? They did make it. Well, uh, they've been making that for years. I don't care what they call it. It's the same one. Now, now, have you noticed that it's almost always a girl and a giant horse? But the horse, you see, is, is far more noble than any human being ever could be, and, and actually is more sensitive and understanding and, uh, and has all human characteristics. Black Beauty is, is, a, is a, another classic example of that. Uh, black Beauty is very much like a, like a human being, only, only better. Uh, because you can own them. <laughs> I mean, it's not so easy to uh, to own old Uncle Fred. You know, throw a halter on him and have him run at uh, at uh, you know Churchill Downs. But uh, nevertheless, uh, these these are these are symbolic and very interesting things. I've, I've, I'd like to uh, here I have before me. What set me off on this is that I've got an old old copy. Somebody sent this to me here a couple of months back. It's an old copy of Aesop's Fables. Now, uh, this was one of the very first examples of it. Now, that's uh, an old Greek uh, series of fables, but they all involve animals. And so you've got the crow in the pitcher, the porcupine and the moles. Uh, did you ever hear that one? That's a good one. Listen, it was growing cold, and a porcupine was looking for a home. He found the most desirable cave, but he saw that it was occupied by a family of moles. Would you mind if I shared your home for the winter? The porcupine asked the moles. The generous moles consented, and the porcupine moved in. But the cave was small, and every time the moles moved around, they were scratched by the porcupine's quills. The moles endured this discomfort as long as they could. Then at last they gathered courage to approach their visitor. Pray leave, they said. Let us have our cave to ourselves again. Oh, no, said the porcupine. This place suits me very well. 
If you moles are not satisfied, I suggest you leave. The poor moles had to make the best of a bad situation, realizing, sadly, and this is the moral, it is well to know one's guest before offering him hospitality. All right, that's that's a classic Aesop's fable. Moles, porcupines, hares, tortoises, grasshoppers that hang around the beach all summer long, and, you know, play the violin and jump up and down and put nickels in the jukebox and don't save their dough for the winter. Ants. Have you noticed that ants are always considered industrious animals? They're very straight, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. And grasshoppers are considered very frivolous. Well, you know, there you go. That's anthropomorphology, again. And it's, and it's insects, although I don't know whether you could use that in terms of insects. Anthro does not mean... I suppose you'd have to use another word. But the bees... There's another thing, the busy bee. We often use that. Have you noticed that everybody likes bees and nobody likes hornets? Well, they both sting, friend. I mean, it's highly uh, academic when you get stung by one or the other. <laughs> but somehow it's the busy bee and the, the wasp and the evil hornet. But uh, these are all all uh, part of the... Uh, what it is, I don't... I don't you know, I, I've never been able to come to any conclusions about it. What specifically it means, and uh, you can even you can even look at your friends, see, and you can decide that uh, uh, Charlie, you know, you say, you know, Charlie is is uh, what is Charlie? Is he a grasshopper? Is he an ant? Is he a mole? Is he a porcupine? Uh, do you see yourself as a as a caterpillar? As a butterfly? You notice the term social butterfly applies? Oh, they've got all kinds. Worm. And we, we, we apply, we, we, we cross over. Uh, it's a bad thing to call a guy a rat. It's a bad thing. He's a real rat. Beaver, an eager beaver. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and yet, on the other hand, can you imagine a, a rat calling another, uh, you know, there's a real rotten rat. He's got something really stinky, and he says, Will you... Oh, you people, you... You know. <laughs> oh, we're wild creatures, I'll tell you. We really are. And, and, uh... Who's, who's named Woody? That's right, that's right, of course. Da-da-da-da-da. Wow! <laughs> 